my name is Michael Tuck, and I'm the associate pastor here at Bacon's Castle Baptist Church. We are a local church in Surrey, Virginia, dedicated to making disciples of Jesus Christ. This is the weekly podcast that we put out for our local church family and the church as a whole. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. So Gladys Dunn had recently moved into a retirement community, and uh, she was in a different town. She wanted to find a new church, so she went out looking for a church. And she found this beautiful building and decided she was going to go in there on Sunday. And sure enough, she did. She went in. And, uh, but as, as the service was going on, she found the sermon to be boring. And it seemed to go on forever and ever. And she noticed some people nodding off. When the pastor finally finished uh, speaking, he encouraged the congregation to greet one another. So Gladys turned to the man next to her, who she'd seen sort of nodding off. And she said politely, she said, I'm Gladys Dunn. To which he responded, man, I'm glad he's done too. I couldn't take much more of that. Well, beloved, I'm not done. We're just getting started. So open in your Bibles to Mark chapter 2. And then at the end of this time this morning, you can say, man, I'm glad he's done. Hopefully not, though. Have you ever started something new? Uh, Better question, have you ever taken something that existed and made it into something new, revamped it, maybe something Different, but with the same purpose that uh, that it had years ago in Smithfield, there was a come and go deli. Maybe you even went to the come and go deli. It served food and had a one best I can tell. It had a one star rating. Okay, but five years ago, Jesse Witten and his team bought it, renewed it, and turned it into Q Daddy Restaurant. And they still serve food. The menu's changed. The ambience has changed. The service has changed. And the rating is nearly a five everywhere you go with regard to Q-Daddy. Sometimes, sometimes when we start something new, much has to change. And, uh, and we've said this repeatedly as we've begun to study the Gospel of Mark, that Jesus is launching the kingdom of God. And though this kingdom of God is something they've been waiting for and looking for, This kingdom that Jesus is launching is going to be very different than what they were expecting. In fact, it's going to be kind of new. This kingdom of God, Jesus is doing something new. So as we continue in our study of Mark this morning, I want you to see some of the things that are new. So we're going to pick up, if you're our guest this morning, first time with us, uh, in, a, in a while, or first time with us, period, we're, we're in Mark chapter 2 at verse 18. And uh, the first thing that I want you to see that's new in this kingdom that Jesus is launching is that the kingdom would have a new joy. The king was here, and it was time to celebrate, not time to mourn. So in verse 18, we read, Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. People came and asked Jesus, Why do John's disciples and the Pharisees' disciples fast, but your disciples do not fast? In Jesus' day, there was a prescribed fast for those people that were religious. It was twice a week. The Pharisees uh, prided themselves in keeping that fast. I want to say it was Tuesday and Thursday, but don't quote me on the days. But in Luke 18, for instance, we have a Pharisee who's braggadocious about the fact that he keeps this twice-a-week fast. Um, People noticed that Jesus and his disciples weren't keeping this fast. Why don't you do that is, is their question they've asked him. So a couple of context notes for us before, before we look at his answer. The first is this. There's only one prescribed fast in the Old Covenant. God is uh, 
prescribed of Israel only one fast, and that's at the Day of Atonement. So when Jesus and his disciples are not being faithful to this two twice a week fast, they're not violating any command of God by not fasting. The second contextual thing I want you to note is that Jesus is not against fasting. When he started his ministry, just at the beginning of, of Mark's gospel, even we saw it, he went out for 40 days and fasted for over a month. He's not against fasting. He would tell his disciples at some point when they couldn't cast out a demon, he would say to the disciples, this kind doesn't come out unless you fast and pray, implying they weren't fasting and praying, but that he was, right? So, so Jesus is not against fasting. Let's look at what he answers them in verse 19. Jesus said to them, the wedding guest cannot fast while the groom is with them. Can they? As long as they have the groom with them, they cannot fast. But the time will come when the groom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast on that day. Fasting is, is often associated with repentance and sorrow and contrition. And Jesus' answer to them as to why his disciples are not fasting is because this was a time not to grieve. This was a time not to have sorrow. This was a time to be filled with joy, to rejoice and to celebrate. There would be times in the future, plenty of times in the future when they could fast. In fact, when they took him from him, he said, that'll be a time to fast. But this is not the time because this is a time of joy. And he said, well, Jimmy, where do you see that? Well, I see that in the answer that Jesus gave us or the illustration that Jesus gave them. He said, listen, when there's a wedding going on, the men and the groom, they, they don't fast. They cannot fast at the celebration of a wedding. That's not the purpose. That's the time to celebrate. That's the time to, to express joy, not to fast. Nobody's going to fast at, at a wedding. They're going to make merry. They're going to drink. They're going to celebrate. And so in the illustration, Jesus is obviously the groom. And what he's telling his followers is that this kingdom now is a time, this, this beginning of the kingdom is a time to celebrate. This is a time where we're going to express lots of joy. The kingdom that Jesus brought us is to be a kingdom of joy and celebration. Psalm 45, don't turn there, just listen. This is verses 6 and 7. It speaks of Jesus in a prophetic way, and it says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, our God, has anointed you with the oil of joy above your fellows. In other words, God's talking about his coming Messiah, his coming king. And he says, God has anointed his coming king with a joy above everyone else. Jesus told his disciples, they said, he said to them, hey, we're going to have the greatest joy, and I, I have the greatest joy, and I want my joy to fill your heart. Listen to him in John 15. These things I've spoken to you, Jesus said, that my joy may be in you. Remember, Psalm 45 said he's going to be the, filled with joy above everyone else, right, of, of his, of his uh, Colleagues, He's going to be filled with joy more than them. He says, I want my joy to be in you that your joy may be full. How about this one from John 17, 13? But now I come to you and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy made full in themselves. After the resurrection of Jesus and the establishment of the church, we read this, Acts 13, 52. And the disciples were continually filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Hey, there's just something about the Spirit of God that he puts in our heart that fills us with joy. So, so Jesus is saying, hey, here's something new about my kingdom. It's going to be a kingdom 
of joy. Romans 14, 17, Paul writes, the kingdom of God is not in eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy, in the Holy Spirit. When the kingdom Jesus brought us came, it was to be, it, it was a kingdom of joy while he was present. It was like a banquet. I, I was thinking this morning as I was going over my notes, do y'all remember Matthew put the film? They took the gospel of Matthew and they made it into a film. And what they did is, unlike the chosen, which adds all kinds of extra biblical material to fill out the story and flesh out the story for us, the gospel of Matthew put to film was just the words of the gospel of Matthew. That was it. Any spoken part Jesus had, it was Matthew's words. Everything was kind of narrated. I mean, it was, a, it was kind of a neat thing. But the reason I remind you of that was because the guy who played Jesus was kind of short. But the thing that stuck out about him was he was always smiling. So that film is known as the Smiley Jesus film because Jesus, that Jesus was always smiling. We kind of joke about that. But I wonder... I wonder if Jesus wasn't this person that when you're with him, you don't feel like you're with Eeyore. You feel like you're with Tigger, right? You feel like with someone who's just, he's just overflowing with joy. Today, there are times for us to fast. And let's be really honest. There are times for sorrow. Michael's granddaddy died yesterday morning. That's a time for sorrow. Sometimes I I found out a friend this week is, is, is... got stage four colon cancer. And, and uh, you know, man, my heart hurt for that. I, I found another incident this week that just made me cry. And so there's still sorrow all around. But I want to tell you something. Even in the midst of our sorrow, the kingdom that Jesus brought us brought us this new joy that, that needs to just somehow always be present in our life. You know, forgive me if I've already told you this. It just came to me. It's not even in my notes. I know I've told you this, so forgive me. But I'm going to tell you again. One of the things that I learned with Shep's death was that I feel like I learned, and I've told it to many, many people, is that we we have this idea of joy and and, and grief being in our life like this, and sometimes you're in joy, and then you're going to be in grief. Man, I'm convinced that grief and joy are two parallel lines in our life. And you can have grief and sorrow and hurt and pain, and at the same time, you can be experiencing great joy in the Lord. We can have both of those at the same time. And Jesus says, listen, I, I, my kingdom is one of joy. And this is not the time to fast while I'm here. This is the time for us to rejoice, to celebrate. And that's what they did. So I wonder, this is a rhetorical question. I wonder this morning, do you know that joy? I'm serious. Do you know? I mean, it's rhetorical, but ask yourself the question. Do you know that joy that even when it's hurting, the joy line's still etch dark in your life. Do you, do you know that? I hope you do. Because listen, if you, if you don't, listen, you can know that today. I really believe that. You can know that joy today. But it's going to take you casting your, your cares and your heart on God. We'll talk about that at the end. The second thing about the kingdom, the kingdom would have a new covenant. And the new covenant would be not about being in Israel, but about being in Jesus. Now, even as I say that, I need to qualify it a little bit because, because the Bible calls us the people of God, the new Israel, or it calls us Israel. So it's, it, when I say it, the new covenant is not about being a national biological Israel, 
but it's about being in Jesus. Look at verse 21. Jesus continues. This is on the heels of just saying, hey, we're, we're going to celebrate right now. We're not going to fast. Verse 21, he says, no one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Otherwise, the new patch pulls away from the old cloth and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine in old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the, skin, will burst the skins. The wine is lost as well as the skins. No, new wine is put into fresh wineskins. And Jesus uses two analogies that are really, really easy for us to understand. If you have a piece of clothing that has a hole in it and it's already shrunk, it's not going anywhere, and you put a new piece of cloth over the hole and sew it on, but it's new cloth, when it shrinks and it pulls that cloth, it'll make the hole worse. That's the first analogy he gives us. And then he gives us one of wineskins. And so back then they made wineskins out of goat hide and they would, they would sew them together tightly and they would put new wine in a new container, goat skin container, because in the fermenting process, the, the wine would put off gas, would expand the hide. The fresh hide would expand with the gas so that it would not burst. But if you took an old wine skin and you, that had already been stretched, and then you put new wine in it, when the fermenting process took place, the gas that would be, be being created would burst that, that old wine skin because it didn't have any more elasticity to it. And so it would burst, you'd lose all your wine, and you'd lose the canteen, uh, the goatskin canteen as well. He said you'd lose both of those. So, now Jesus doesn't apply that for us. You see that, right? He doesn't tell us what exactly he means by the analogy. So I'm going to tell you what I think. But you need to understand this is just what I think. I think I'm right, but I'm going to tell you what I think. I believe Jesus is pointing us to the truth that the new kingdom isn't about biological Israel or isn't going to be find itself encapsulated in biological Israel, but rather the, with the covenant that God made with them at Sinai, but he's not patching that covenant. He's not tweaking that agreement. I believe what Jesus is saying is what, what Jesus would say on the night of the Lord's Supper, that I'm making a new covenant with you that I'm starting something new. In the past, to be part of the kingdom of God, you had to be part of national Israel. You had to join national Israel. You had to be a part of, of the nation. Jesus is saying the new kingdom of God is going to be new wineskins. And it's not going to be about being in the national Israel nation, but it, rather it's going to be about being in Jesus. And I really believe, guys, that this is, this is the message of the whole book of Galatians when we went through it not too long ago. In the book of Galatians, it was all about, hey, listen, if you want to go back to the old covenant of Sinai with all of the laws and all that kind of stuff that went along, if you want to go back to that, listen, you're being severed from Jesus. You're making the wrong choice because God has made a new covenant. God's got new wineskins for the new thing that he's doing. And so the author of Hebrews, by the way, writing to Jewish Christians, this is what he says in chapter 13, uh, verse, or chapter 8. I didn't write the chapter down. It's either 13 or 8, but just listen as I read to you. So this is what the author of Hebrews says. He says, for if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion for a second one. 
But finding fault with his people, he says, See, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their ancestors on the day I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt. Not like the Sinai covenant. I showed no concern for them, says the Lord, because they did not continue in my covenant. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. And each person will not teach his fellow citizen and each brother or sister saying, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least to the greatest of them. For I will forgive their wrongdoing and I will never again remember their sins. And by saying a new covenant, God has declared that the first is obsolete. And what is obsolete and growing old is about to pass away. Jesus made a new covenant. Now listen, not just with Judah and Israel, not just with those who were Jews by birth. He made a covenant with anyone and with everyone through his blood. So those who would enter, and when I say his blood, I just got to think about this. Maybe that's a new concept to you. The Bible speaks of the blood of Jesus. When it does, it speaks of him shedding his blood for us. It's referring back to Jesus being a sacrifice and dying for us, right? So when Jesus died for us, we all who enter into Jesus by faith become the, the true Israel or the Israel of Romans chapter 9 when it says not all of Israel is Israel. Not all of biological Israel is the Israel of God. The Israel of God, the true kingdom of God. And this is what Jesus is saying. It's new wineskins. It's not going to be based or built on national Israel. It's going to be based on those who belong to Jesus by faith. And listen to this. It's going to be both Jews and Gentiles. Hey, listen, Anyone can enter this kingdom. You don't have to be a biological child of Abraham. I mean, you just, it doesn't matter who you are. You come and, and, and everyone listen in your Bible, in your Bible, Paul talks about this mystery of the new kingdom, right? And Peter talks about it as well. And what they're talking about was this mystery that no one understood that the kingdom of God wasn't going to be about biological Israel one day. It was going to be about all of us, every one of us, Gentile and Jew, who would come to God through the Lord Jesus. God was doing something new through the Lord Jesus and his kingdom would have a new covenant. Number three, the kingdom would have, there's four. By the way, this is on the back of your bulletin if you want to use that to follow along. The kingdom would have a new perspective. So here's the perspective change. The Sabbath was given to bless mankind, not just a rule to keep, to bless God. That's the new perspective. So look at verse 23. On the Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields. So this is, we're moving on, a little different episode right here. Mark records for us. But on the Sabbath, he and his men are going through the grain field, and his disciples began to make their way, picking some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David and those who were with him did when he was in need and hungry? How he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for anyone to eat except the priest, and also gave some to his companions? 
And then he told them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So then the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. By the time we get to Jesus in his earthly time here on earth with us, the laws of God weren't seen as a means to bless us. They were seen as the way we bless God. It had really nothing to do with God giving us certain laws to help us flourish. God giving us certain laws to help us prosper and thrive in this life. It wasn't about that at all. We just keep the laws because this is how we please God. So the Pharisees had invented a minutia of how we actually keep the laws recorded for us uh, in, uh, in the scriptures. And uh, so when they saw the disciples walking through the field on the Sabbath, rubbing the grain hands in their hand, or the grain heads in their hands and eating the wheat, they said, ah, oh, you're working. And they accused him of violating the Sabbath. Now, now, here's a couple of thoughts that you may not know. You check me out on this, make sure I'm right. There is nothing in the Mosaic law that would have forbid them from doing that. There's nothing in the Old Testament that would have forbid them from doing that. Now, the Talmud and the things that the Pharisees and others had written as interpretations of the law, yeah, no, they would be violating those things, but they would not have been violating what is recorded for us in, in, the, in the Torah, what was recorded for them, excuse me, in the Torah, in the, in the Old Testament books of law. And, and so they're not violating that. So Jesus could have said to them, hey, guys, you know, we're not violating any Torah law, but that's not where he goes. Uh, it's not what he does uh, with this. They've taken a, an Old Testament concept. They made it into a bunch of rigid rules that are devoid of the original meaning that God gave us when he said that we're to take a Sabbath and not work on that particular day. But it's interesting what he does. Jesus takes them to Samuel, to 1 Samuel 21. And there's a story in 1 Samuel 21 where King David... He's actually not a king at this point. Saul is the king. And David has been, I imagine at this point, anointed as to be the king to follow him. Well, Saul doesn't want David to follow him. He wants his own son to follow him. So he, he's trying to kill David. He's chasing him everywhere. And David and his men are hungry. And they come to uh, the, what is, I can't remember, the, t- the tabernacle. Or they come to where the temple, one or the other. I think it's the tabernacle at this point. It is the tabernacle at this point. David hasn't built a temple. So it is the tabernacle. They come and David says to the priest there in charge, give us some bread. And he says, the only bread I've got is the bread of the presence, which is part of the ceremonial, ceremonial process of worship. And when it wasn't lawful for God had said, no one else is to eat this bread except for the priest. But the priest put some stipulations on there, consecrate yourselves. Then he gives the bread and David and his men eat it. And, and the thing that's, that's obvious in the text is that God's okay with that. that. That has God's approval, even though they're violating a law, an actual law in the Torah, a ceremonial law, about how, what they're to do with that bread. And, and so Jesus makes this point to them. He says, guys, I want you to get it. There's a new perspective on the Sabbath in my kingdom. The Sabbath is, God didn't make the Sabbath up for a rule for you to keep so that it would bless him. God gave you the Sabbath to bless you. God gave you the Sabbath to be something to help you flourish, to help you thrive in life. God gave you uh, the Sabbath for that. And furthermore, he said to them, and this is in your face, he said, and by the way, I am Lord over the Sabbath. 
So I get to decide what I meant by when I said keep a Sabbath. I get to decide what I meant. And people hungry on the Sabbath walking through the grain field and picking some heads of grain and rubbing them in their hands so they can have something to eat. That's not what I meant. Jesus would actually say to the Pharisees on another occasion, he said, guys, if your ox falls in the ditch, does anybody leave it in the ditch? And the answer was no, no one ever did, right? They got the ox out of the ditch because it was something of necessity that they had to do. And, and so God is trying to help us understand this new perspective in his kingdom. And I want you to get it this morning, okay? And, and the new perspective is the Sabbath wasn't just an old covenant law that God expected them to keep. It was part of the first Sinai covenant. It was written into the Ten Commandments. But the Sinai principle or the Sinai gift that, I mean, excuse me, the, the Sabbath gift that God gave us pre, predates Sinai's covenant. I mean, it's based on what God models for us when he creates everything. And then it says he rested for a day. So the Sabbath is a gift from God. And Jesus wants us to understand that in his kingdom. There's a new perspective on the Sabbath. And, and the Sabbath is to be seen by us as this as something that God gave us to bless us. And, and it's a day that God gave us to help us rest, to help us pull aside from everything that we do in life. So how should you observe the Sabbath? Because that's my contention this morning. My contention is that you should keep the Sabbath. You should observe a Sabbath, right? How should you do that? Well, let it be a day, because this is the purpose. Remember, it's made for you, right? God, God created the Sabbath for all of us. So what should you do on that day? How should you observe that day? Well, I would suggest that you take a day, your Sabbath, and, and make it a rest from your normal activities. Make it a time where you pull away from what you normally do and, and rest. Let the day be a day that replenishes you. I, I, you know, I worship on my Sabbath. This is my Sabbath. And I know, you know, the old joke, the preacher only works one day a week, and this would be my day, right? You know, but this has never been work for me. This has never been work for me. This is, my, this is my Sabbath day. My wife would like me to do some things different than I do. But for me, it is my day of rest. It is my day, it is my day that I pull aside from doing the normal stuff. She would say I disagree. But in my heart, it is. So how do you do it? Hey, get some special food. Walk, rest. Take naps like she does. I mean, she's, I mean, she's keeping the Sabbath right. I mean, she's sleeping on it. I mean, she's resting on it, right? My point is this, my point is this, that, you know, there's no, I don't think there's, I don't, we don't, we're not under the old covenant anymore. There's no rules for how we should keep the Sabbath, but that we should keep it. Jesus said, yes, it's a gift from God for, to each one of you. And you should, you should create a day that's just different for you, where you, you find yourself replenished and relaxed and, and just being thankful to the Lord. Being thankful to the Lord, resting, resting in him. That's the new perspective of this new kingdom that we're in. And the final new thing that I want to show you is that the kingdom would have a new ethic. <laughs> and I, I think I have to say, I kind of love this one the most. The kingdom would have a new ethic. We love people and hurting people matter to God. That's the ethic of his kingdom. And it's kind of new. You know, we love people and hurting people matter to God. Chapter three, Jesus entered the synagogue again and a man was there who had a shriveled hand. In order to accuse him, they were watching him closely to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath. 
And he told the man with the shriveled hand, stand before us. And then he said to them, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath or to do evil? Is it to save a life on the Sabbath or kill? But they were silent. And after looking around at them with anger, he was grieved at the hardness of their hearts and told the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out and his hand was restored. And immediately the Pharisees went out and started plotting with the Herodians against him, how they might kill him. In this story, Jesus is in the synagogue on the Sabbath, probably the same day. Well, it doesn't have to be the same day, but let's just assume it's the same day. And they're watching Jesus and they're, and they're watching him because, and it sounds like maybe even they, they put the man with the withered hand in there to see whether Jesus would heal him. And the implication was they were looking to accuse him of working on the Sabbath by healing this man. And uh, so Jesus obliges them. Don't you love this, man? <laughs> Jesus says, hey, guy with the withered hand, come right up here in the front, you know. So right up there in the front, this guy stands up and he says to all of them, he says, hey, guys, let me ask you a question. Is it right to do good on the Sabbath or to do evil? Or well, let me go back and read it exactly as he says. He says, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath or to do evil? To save a life or, or to kill it? And so he asked them this question. What happens next really gets under Jesus' skin. And I say that because it says he's angry and he's grieving at the hardness of his heart. And you know why he's angry? He's angry because nobody will speak up. Nobody speaks up. He says, hey, guys, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath? Crickets. Nobody speaks up. Hey, hey, is it lawful to save a life or to kill a life on the Sabbath? Again, just crickets. Nobody's saying anything. I was in a situation a couple of weeks ago with a group of Christians, and I disagreed with what they were saying. I felt like I was alone, but just like, just like God told Elijah, there's 7,000 people in Baal that need to bail. I found out there was several others that, that agreed with me. But I didn't, want to be, I didn't want to be seen as an outlier. I didn't want to be the guy who said, hey, guys, I respectfully don't agree with y'all in what you're saying. But I couldn't, I couldn't keep silent, so I eventually said, hey, guys, I respectfully disagree with everyone. And uh, I have a feeling the Pharisees felt that way a little bit that day in that Jesus asked them an honest question, which should have had a very easy answer. Yes, it is not only lawful to do good on the Sabbath, you should do good on the Sabbath. That would have been the, the right Answer for everyone. I guarantee you some of those Pharisees knew it, but they would not speak up against their, their buddies. They would, not, they would not give in to what Jesus was asking them. Even, and, and it hardens Jesus' heart. I mean, excuse me. It angers Jesus' heart, the hardness of their heart, that they would prefer to side with their buddies than to even speak the truth. So Jesus has the man. He says, man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretches out his hand there in front of everyone. He heals him. And Jesus is making a statement. The kingdom has a new ethic. We love people. And we love and care for people who are hurting. I, I, I believe with all my heart that that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, hey, this man matters to God and his pain and suffering matters to God more than what little bit of energy I might have to expend in healing him. 
this man matters so much more to God than, uh, than your contrived rules about how I'm to keep the Sabbath. If there's one new reality that Jesus gave us in his kingdom that's not just found here, but found interwoven through everything Jesus said and, and everything that Jesus did, it's that love saturates everything that the people of God do now. Everybody in the kingdom of God, love is what we're all about, even in our Sabbath rest. Even in our Sabbath rest, love for people should trump our Sabbath rest. A new commandment I give to you, Jesus said, love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. Again, I'm not down on doctrine. I'm not down on all kinds of things. I just want you to know Jesus said it's by your love that people will know you belong to Jesus. That's how they're going to know. It's not that your doctrine is not important, but he doesn't say by your doctrine, you'll be able to recognize who the true believers are. It's by their love that you'll be able to recognize them. Matthew twenty two thirty seven. love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important commandment. And though you didn't answer me, I'm going to give you this, uh, didn't ask me, I'm going to give you the second one. It's like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commandments. My commandment is this, John 15, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down his own life for his friends. Luke 6, 35, love your enemies, do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you'll be children of the most high because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your father is merciful. This is the ethic of Jesus' kingdom. This, this is what we are to be all about. We are simply to live out loving God and loving people. I mean, that, that, that is the hallmark of the Christian life. It's the best and biggest thing you can do is just love people in Jesus' name. You know, I, I wrote this in my notes right here. I wrote it during my, my rehearsal time this morning. Um, but it has to do with my, our Sunday school class too. You know, this morning in our Sunday school class, God has instituted the Sinai covenant, the first covenant, and it's through national Israel. And then God says to national Israel, you're to kill all your enemies. You're to kill them all, right? But in the new covenant, the, the new covenant is a shift. And Jesus said, I'm not going to send you out to kill your enemies anymore. I'm telling you to love. I'm not going to use you to kill my enemies, your enemies. You're not going to kill your enemies. You're going to love your enemies. And so the ethic of the new kingdom changes and shifts. And we are to love our enemies and we're to love each other. And loving others is, is when I take what I have in time and talents and treasure and I give it up to help others. That's the kind of love that we're to have for each other and the kind of love I think that we're even to have for people that are not part of us. And maybe, maybe even the people that are against us. We're to give our time, talent, and treasures to the point that it stands out and people notice it and people see it. Because they're gonna, if people see it in you, they're gonna wanna know why. They're gonna wanna know how it is that you're, why are you like that? 
and they're going to notice. I don't mean do it to be noticed. Jesus said, don't do it to be noticed. Remember, he said, do your best to fly under the radar. Don't let your right hand know, right hand know what your left hand is doing, right? So I'm not saying, Jesus is not, I'm not saying do this to be noticed. I'm saying that if you do this and you love overwhelmingly, you can't hide it. People are going to see it. They're going to, they're going to, they're going to notice it. Let me tell you something. So we do the, what do they call the meal train thing? And so Beverly did it forever sending it out. I think she might still be sending it out or Jenny's sending it out now. But I'd always go and look on the meal train. And you know what I noticed? I noticed there was one sister in our family that was seemingly to always sign up for the meal train to take a meal to someone. And I thought, how does this person know that person? And then I realized one day, they don't really know that person. They're just, they're just doing this. And it stood out to me as a loving thing. You know, and that's just simple. If we, if we just love overwhelmingly, and by the way, that person had children at home and everything. I'm not talking about a retired person that had plenty of time. I'm talking about somebody who, hey, this is a way to love. And it stood out to me. I saw it. I saw it. Um, who do you know among us sets an example for the believer of his or her love? For others, who do you know? Well, if, if somebody came to mind, then here's what I'd say to you. Follow that person as they follow Jesus. Emulate that person as they follow, as they follow Christ. Here's, a, here's a, something to consider. A.W. Pink said, the measure of our love for others can largely be determined by the frequency and earnestness of our prayers for them. I thought about that a lot, and I, I don't know that I agree. Do you agree? Is, is the measure of our love for others determined by the frequency and earnestness of our prayers? I, I'm not sure, although I think praying, I, I think praying is the first thing. But, but you remember, even James said, he said, what good if you, is it you say, hey, I'm praying for you. I hope you get warm. I'm praying for you to be warm. I'm praying for you to have food. But you don't, <laughs> you don't do anything to help. So I think A.W. Tozer is correct that maybe the place to begin is is prayer, but man, love is, A.W. Pink, excuse me. Uh, I, I think it's, it's seen more in, in how we actually get out there with hands-on, tangibly love people. There's a lot of things we can do to extend the kingdom of God, but I think basic to them all is that we can love people in Jesus' name. We can be kind to people in Jesus' name. We can serve people in Jesus' name. This is the new ethic. This is the new code of the new kingdom that Jesus was inaugurating. Thank you so much for listening this week. If you have any questions, you can email them to Pastor Jimmy at baconscastle.com. Also, check us out on YouTube and Facebook to get to know us and see what God is doing here in Surrey. Be blessed.